Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless, and today I want to talk about Massive MIMO. Specifically, what is Massive MIMO? What's it going to do for the industry? I made this a long one. I don't know why. I just did. So, let's get into it. First, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro, TowerTrackerPro.com, for all your closeout package needs. When you want to close out the site, for those of you that do close out packages, you want to do it in one trip, one visit, take all the pictures step by step. It's software as a service that really walks you through the closeout process, uploads it to the cloud so someone back at the office can verify it. Also, and let them know that Wade for Wireless sent you. Just repeat that to them. Uh, also, I want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction. They are an accredited school in the state of Arizona that handles your Tower training needs nationwide, towersafety.com, towersafety.com. And they also have teletechcollege.com, teletechcollege.com. They're there for all of your training needs in the wireless industry, especially for safety. They have online training as well as they will come to you or you can go to their school and they'll give you safety training as far as rigging, as far as going up the tower, going down the tower, getting trained to be on the tower, rescue, safety, CPR, first aid, and things like that. And again, like I said, in the state of Arizona, they are a state accredited school. And also, I have the LTE deployment handbook out there. Just go to wadeforwireless.com and look for all the books that I have. My new book is Smart City Use Cases. Released just recently, I have 5G technology handbook. I also have the Scope of Work Training Series. I have a lot of books, you know, get on there. I have Learning 5G, which is a very cost-affordable, cost-effective book out there for you to just look over 5G in the real world. It's really about 5G in the real world. So let's talk about MIMO, specifically Massive MIMO. First, what is MIMO? MIMO is multiple in, multiple out. And as far as wireless technology, what that means is you have several Uh, receive and transmit lines all working at the same time. With OFDM, this is entirely possible. But basically, you have four transmit and four receive all in one panel, all in one antenna. This is common now. People have deployed MIMO everywhere. That's how they're getting the LTE bandwidth that they're getting today. It's really really, uh, a game changer in LTE. So that's what they want to do is, is try to improve the throughput. So how do they do that? Like I said, it's very common. Four transmit, four receive, eight transmit, eight receive. Even your UE device, your smartphone, user equipment device, your smartphone probably has two receive antennas, possibly two transmit antennas, maybe up to four of each. Now, the reason they have both is because, at least in the U.S., we have a lot of FDD systems, which has dedicated uplink and dedicated downlink, except Sprint. Sprint has the TDD system in their 2.5 gigahertz, where it's pretty much all in the same antenna. So it's going to be easier for them, I would think, to go to Massive MIMO. Now, Massive MIMO, what is it? That's when you have like an incredible amount of transmit and receive. Now, the way they normally explain this, like for eight transmit and eight receive, they would say eight T eight R. 
But for massive MIMO, you would have something like 64T, 64R, 128T, 128R. Let me explain. 64T, 64 transmit, 64R, 64 receive. Each specific elements, I would say antennas, but technically it's going to look like one antenna, one device. But in that antenna, you would have 64 elements dedicated to transmit, 64 elements dedicated to receive. Behind each one of those elements isn't just the antenna. You're going to have a specific connection to the radio head for that specific element. So what does that mean? In the radio head, you're going to have 64 little radio heads <laughs> that connect to each element. I know it sounds a little silly, but really that's what it is. You're going to have 64 transmitters, 64 receivers, all working like an orchestra, firing at the same time, everything synced, talking to the different devices at the same time. It's just a beautiful thing. Now, you have to remember this is going to be at a macro site. It's just not practical, in, at least at this time, to do this like on a small cell or something. So what you're going to have is at a macro site, you're going to have a massive amount of transmit and receive elements, connections, that are all going to be controlled by, say, a BBU, whether it's a local BBU at a BBU hotel or a cloud BBU. It's going to control all this. Now, how are you going to do this to be practical? Now, I think the reality is we can't run 64 coax jumpers at every tower between the antenna and then have a radio head that has 64 connections or 64 radio heads. It's not going to happen. Like even with the 8T8R, they usually just have a connection from the radio head for each transmit and receive, something of that nature. What we're going to have to do, and the OEMs know this, this is what they're working on. Like if you look at Ericsson, Huawei, Samsung, or Nokia's websites, you'll see they have active antenna systems, which is an integrated antenna where the radio heads are actually integrated into the antenna. So what does that mean? No more coax jumpers. You just run fiber to the antenna, bam, the antenna is live, the antenna is powered. Oh, you have to run power to the antenna too. And no more radio head and the antenna. Now it's all in the antenna. So massive MIMO, you could have all these elements transmitting and receiving at the same time. Now, obviously, in your UE device, your, your equipment, your smartphone, let's just say in your smartphone, chances are good you're not going to have 64 antennas, right? It's just probably not going to happen. Now, like I said, they do have two, they do have four. But what the massive MIMO to site is going to do now, one of those elements can talk specifically to a device. Therefore, it really improves the loading on the, uh, the equipment because now you have all these devices demanding bandwidth. If you have 100 devices, 64 of them can talk to each element uh, in theory. In theory, don't get me wrong. This is theoretical right now, but it's really going to save a lot of, what would you say, overlap, waiting, latency that you're going to have normally with these antenna systems and with the radio heads, the way they process everything. Why do we need massive MIMO? You know, just like I said, the high bandwidth, the spectral efficiency, lower latency, improved density coverage, connectivity. And it, it, again, it's a step towards 5G. That's the reality of it. We're going to have to get to 5G sometime with the bandwidth. That's how we're going to do it. So what, what are we going to need to do to support this? Obviously, the BBU is going to need to be upgraded. BBU is going to need some kick-ass processor in there that's going to be able to handle all this. And it's also going to have to process a lot more power at each radio head. It just is. This is the reality of it. Uh, it's going to process more data. It's going to have to handle more bandwidth. It's going to have to control more radio heads. It's going to have to have more self-optimization uh, networking in it. Uh, son. So it's going to 
it's going to have to talk to more UE devices on each sector. It's going to have to handle carrier aggregation with a lot more elements up there. It's going to have to process more services, I would say, simultaneously than ever before. I, I think that's how we have to look at it. I got to add that in here. More services simultaneously <laughs> than ever before. But we're going to have to look at it that way. The other thing it's going to have to do, obviously, capture data, track data, be able to see what's going on. And it's also going to have to handle the neighbor list with the interference among the other sites, whether they're massive MIMO or not, because now you're putting out a lot more radiation at a site. So what's probably going to happen is your coverage area is going to shrink. It's just going to be more efficient that way. What about the backhaul? Because we always talk about backhaul. Listen, the 100 megabits per second they have out there probably aren't going to cut it. One gigabit per second backhaul, that may not cut it, depending upon where it's need. Where, depending upon what's needed. Sorry, I can't speak today, folks. So what does that mean? Better routers at sites, more strands of fiber at each site, aggregation of the fiber carriers, maybe even 10 gigabit per second backhaul to sites. Now, when I say these sites, I'm talking macro sites. We're not necessarily looking at small cell sites. So it's something to think about. So I talked about backhaul. What about the front hall, people? Well, let me tell you. For those of you that don't know, the front hall is basically the link between the BBU and the radio heads, okay? Now, when I say front hall, that means the BBU could be at the base of a tower. The BBU could be on a rooftop and the radio heads could be two to 300 feet away, run through fiber. The BBU could be at a BBU hotel several kilometers away. I would say miles, but miles are pushing it. Let's say thousands of feet or thousands of yards away from the radio head in one central area. This is common with a lot of setups. It's called CRAN, centralized RAN. Unfortunately, cloud begins with the same letter, C. So you also have another CRAN, which is cloud RAN. The way cloud RAN is supposed to work, you know, your BBU has processing that's done in the cloud and it gets out there. Uh, th this hasn't really, it's being tested a lot. I guess they have it a reality, but each time they try to do more and more with these things. So the cloud ran is getting harder and harder to do just because of the processing power needed. However, the centralized BBUs, the BBU hotels have really worked well. Uh, it's a big hit. Seems to work really well. You can put radio heads all over the city controlled from a BBU hotel. When I see BBU hotel, that's because BBUs uh, brought, uh, baseband units can generally only handle so much let's say so many sectors at a time. All the same, they're gonna need upgraded, like I said, but the front hull is gonna probably need more fiber. So regardless how you look at it, I shouldn't say more fiber. It's gonna need more bandwidth, just like the back hull is, maybe more than one gigabit per second uh, per sector. So it's gonna take a lot more. You may need more fiber, you may need to upgrade. And again, if you have your routers that handle the back hull, uh, I'm sorry, that in this case, that handle the front hull, they're going to have to be improved for more data and bandwidth. We're going to have to have lower latency than ever before. And perhaps we'll need more strands of fiber to do that. You know, it's just the way it is. So it's something to think about I want to bring up. Um, and I also have, can CRAN or CRAN, can Cloud RAN or Centralized RAN be a massive MIMO system? Well, of course it can. It's just a matter of the latency. The problem with these systems is with 5G, they promised a latency less than one millisecond latency. So the one millisecond is a big problem. Now they have 10 milliseconds. 10 milliseconds seems pretty reasonable, but even that's pushing it. So the one millisecond is going to be pushing it. And that's where mobile edge computing is going to get into this. We're going to really rely on that. And I'll get into that later.
How does it affect the UE device? Let's look at how it affects the UE device. Uh, the UE device probably wanted much more than four antennas. Maybe they'll get update, maybe 16, but I don't see them having 64 anytime soon. Could be wrong. What do I know? I'm just telling you what I see out there. So basically, there's still efficiencies when you have a macro site with 64 elements in the antenna on each sector. So the 64 elements... One or two elements could dedicate themselves to one UE device. And that's where the efficiency comes in. The lower latency, the improved bandwidth, because now, in theory, uh, one antenna, one sector could talk to 64 devices simultaneously, and that would lower latency big time. That's where it's really going to make a change. And that's where the UE device is really going to see an improvement. So what are the changes going to be at the site? Well, there's going to be a lot of changes. For instance, it's probably going to be a forklift overhaul, pretty much. Uh, when I say that, they can probably still use the existing fiber, the backhaul, and everything at the site to get started. It's probably going to be all new equipment up on, on top of the tower, or let's say at the, at the building top, because uh, the radio heads will go, the antennas will go, and they'll bring in all new active antennas, so they'll have to replace all that. I would imagine you can use the same fiber and power, but even that may need upgraded. You may not have enough. Uh, I would imagine the BBU has to be upgraded. I don't know if what they have in there now is going to work for the future. So they'll probably just upgrade everything to make it 5G ready. And it's going to be a lot of changes at the site. It's going to be a lot of site work. So what's it mean for business? Now this gets back into the site work. So, uh, you know, replacing the BBU, the radio heads, the antennas, all that means more work. So the tower crews are going to be busy. They're going to be replacing equipment on the tower and on the ground. The engineering crews are going to be busy. There's new RF engineering and optimization that has to be done for this. I mean, it's going to be a lot of work, and they're going to have to plan for this, prepare for this. And I know some carriers out there will probably just wing it, but they're looking for problems. And, of course, they'll blame the OEM and try to get everything done for free, but probably after they lose thousands of customers due to complaints. The backhaul. Backhaul needs to be upgraded. The fiber probably needs to be upgraded. They may, they may need to add new fiber, additional fiber. The wireless backhaul, if they have it, may need replaced or upgraded. And the reason I bring up wireless separately is because when you have wireless backhaul, it's usually a fixed backhaul point. For instance, uh, you may have a backhaul link that's 100 megabits per second. Chances are, unlike fiber, you can't just replace a router and get more bandwidth out of it. You probably have to replace the entire microwave link or add a second one or do an upgrade. Uh, the other thing you have to think about, no matter what you do, the router is going to need replaced or upgraded. Many routers, if they can handle that much data, God bless them. Put it in there. But if they can't, you're going to have to replace it. The backhaul will need upgraded. So the service provider is going to have to make some changes. Whether you're paying additional money, it depends if you lease it or own it. If you own it, chances are you already have a couple extra strands of fiber and you can just upgrade the router if it's your dark fiber. If it's a lit fiber and you're leasing it off somebody, you're probably going to pay them a higher monthly fee. I'm just saying, get ready for it. Now, the OEMs, the OEMs are going to make a lot of money, but you got to remember they're not replacing the entire system. There's no point in putting massive MIMO in the rural or even the suburban areas because the loading's not there. You're going to want it in the urban areas, the cities, New York City, LA, Dallas, Baltimore, Washington, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, places like that, LA, San Diego, and so on, San Francisco. You're going to want to put it in the cities because that's where the most usage is on each site. Um, so the, obviously the carriers, I put them in here because they're going to have to invest in this, enough said. I mean, they're going to have to put 
a lot of money into this, whether they like it or not. But it is a stepping stone to 5G. And if AT&T repeats history, they'll say they already have 5G. Now, the tower companies may not be the big winners here. In fact, when I say tower companies, I mean the companies that own the towers, like American Tower, Crown Castle, SBA, companies like that. Their bread and butter is making money off the leases, but most leases allow for these minor changes because on the tower, all they're going to add, well, they're actually going to remove the radio heads, remove the coax jumpers, remove the existing antennas, and just put in a new antenna. Now, granted, that antenna is going to be heavier. Eh, it might not be bigger. Today's technology shrinks a lot of stuff down, but it's going to make a difference. You know what I'm saying? It's going to make a big difference in what's out there, but I don't see the tower companies making a lot more money off the lease. On the ground, I don't see a lot of new equipment going on the ground that would change the land lease. Anything's possible. Uh, where they might make money is like site access. They'll get new structurals done for the towers. Uh, they may get a new drawing for the tower top, but I, I just don't see them getting a lot more money each month, which again, like I said, that's their bread and butter. It's, it's just something to think about what's going to change. I don't know what else I have for that. The tower companies, I think they're just not going to get the money that uh, most people would get, expect them to get with this. I also want to talk about small sales real quick. Now, why did I bring this up on what it means to business? Because in theory, if the densification works on massive MIMO, you won't need the small cells to distribute the loading. In theory, the macro site could handle all this loading. So small cell deployment may not be out there in these concentrated areas. Assume the coverage is good. So small cells, while they will go back to being fills, they may be more for coverage than they are for actual offloading. The original theory was they were going to use them to offload. But as we all know, small cells, the equipment's cheap, the hardware's cheap, the OEMs did their job, the installers did their job, everyone lowered the price except backhaul and site acquisition. They're still freaking a lot of money, man. I don't know if you ever looked at the small cell, but that's where all the money goes. And, and as much as you don't want to admit it, that's a deterrent, especially for the carriers that get tired of spending a ton of money on site acquisition and fiber. Although some do... They're being forced to it. It's just the way it is, especially for like CRAN systems where they can just put a radio head all over the city. And like radio heads, I should have put it that way, where they can scatter them across the city and control them with one BBU. That isn't so bad. All right, let's move on. So let's look at the additional parts needed for deployments. Listen, coax is going to decline. It's just the way it is. Unless someone puts a radio head with 64 jumpers to the antenna, then I would say coax goes up. I don't see anyone doing that. It's just not practical for a lot of reasons. You know, the interference, the problems, the connections, just uh, the troubleshooting nightmare. They're going to have active antenna systems. It's going to be one unit, pass or fail. You may have a bad element. You may live with it. But that's probably what they're going to do. I just don't see the coax taking off. Fiber will increase. And when I say fiber, fiber jumpers, the fiber back hole, the fiber front hole. I, I'm curious to see if the... Um, Carriers are going to really go back with a, another hybrid cable that has fiber and power in it. I, <laughs> I really don't see them doing that. I think they'll just run two separate cables. They'll probably run the power up there if they need new power. The existing cables may work, you know, the, the existing hybrid cables. When I say a hybrid cable on the tower on a rooftop, it generally has the copper in it for the power. And it generally has, let's say, a dozen or so fibers in it. But if they need more fibers, why would they do another hybrid cable? They would just do run a fiber, like something with like, say, 36 fibers in it, 
in an armored cable. I mean, that's what I would do. I, w I would not run power up with the fiber again. It just seems like a waste of time. I get why they did it. It was cool. It's all in one cable. But now if they have to replace that power cable, what a pain in the ass to, you know, try to replace a whole cable. Plus, I don't know anyone that worked on those hybrid cables, but uh, most of them, they just weigh a ton. They're freaking heavy. They're heavy and expensive to run up the tower. Uh, the tower mounts may change, and here's why. If you look at it, the weight is no longer distributed between the radio head and the antenna. Now, all the weight's going to be on the antenna because the antenna is going to have the radio heads in it. All those jumpers go away. It's probably going to be lighter because electronics has gotten concentrated, smaller, lighter. So it's going to be concentrated and lighter. So all that weight that was distributed, now it's all going to be on the end of the antenna. How does that change the site? The tower mounts may change, even if it's just the mast that you mount on. It's probably going to be a bigger, heavier, rigid mast that those antennas are on. You're going to have to do something to hold all that weight because I, I'm trying to remember, I think a normal antenna was like 40, 50 pounds, let's say 60, 80 pounds. With all the weight in this, it's going to be 100 pounds. So you're going to have a, at least 100 pounds out there, maybe 120, 140, depends who the OEM is. It's going to be a lot more weight. You're going to run fiber right to the antenna, but the, all the weight's going to be at the end of the mount on the antenna. That's probably why they'll do structurals for all, structurals for all these again. At least the uh, when I say structurals, they'll do the structural engineering. I don't think they'll actually go out and do all the site work again. That's my opinion. Uh, now, with that said, with new equipment, it may take more power to run. More power could mean more rectifiers. More rectifiers could mean more utility power to site. New rectifiers could also mean another cabinet at the site, whether they stack it, put it beside. If you put it beside, it's going to change your land lease. So they're going to do everything they can to stack it. So they'll have new rectifiers at the site, possibly more utility power. And when I say utility power, it depends if they're in like 100 amp or 200 amp service to the site. I, I really don't know because a lot of these carriers to save money, they, they put a cheaper like 100 amp service in. I don't know how much money that saves you up front, but in the long run, it always costs you more. Depends what your budgets are. And I understand budgets. Now, listen, that's a light overview of the blogs at Wade for Wireless, W-A-D-E, the number four wireless.com. And uh, you can go there for reading the entire blog. And I'm going to come out with a full report that goes into great detail about what uh, is going to change at the site, how it's going to affect business, what technology you'll see and things like that. That's that's the goal here. I'm going to start making uh, these reports uh, for you guys because a lot of you guys have asked me to do this on a very concentrated, specific level. I hope you all learned something today because I did just researching this. And I also hope you all have a good holiday. I just got by Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving here in the States. And I know Christmas is coming up. Hanukkah is coming up. I hope you guys just have an outstanding holiday. I'm going to be busy here in the next month. I'll try to get out blogs and podcasts when I can. But remember, you can always reach me at Wade4Wireless, W-A-D-E, the number four wireless at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want. Uh, one more thing, I have a poll that I put out in my blog because I'm thinking about starting a subscription service with a lot of detail that I just uh, don't publish. And I also was going to make available like a lot of my audio, some of my training, and a lot of my blogs as PDFs and my reports, book chapters, all that. You know, I wrote like six or seven books now. So I can put those chapters all together for you guys to uh, read when you want to. And that's I was thinking about either a subscription service or a membership site. Not sure which yet. So you guys let me know. The polls at wadeforwireless.com. 
and I just have the RFI poll there. Go ahead, take a look for it. Take it, it should be uh, relatively recent. Uh, I just wrote it in November of 2017. If you guys have any questions or you want any information, wadeforwireless at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out. Social media, Wade for Wireless on Facebook, Wade for Wireless on Google+, Wade Sarver on LinkedIn. Just reach out. I'm here to help. All right, everyone. Remember, I got all my books out there. The LTE Deployment Handbook, the Smart City Use Cases, 5G Technology, Learning 5G in the Real World, all there for you, all available on Amazon, Gumroad, and Cellfi. Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya! And if you're interested in the guitar that you hear, that is by my son, who also has a YouTube channel. His name is Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, Sarver. So you can go ahead and search him on YouTube and listen to his music. See ya! Mm -hmm.